You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you in the power of your Holy Spirit, dear Lord. We thank you, dear Lord, for worship. We are not bothered by these interruptions, for they are the interruptions of man and possibly the prince of the air, but Lord, we just love you. We trust you. We pray, dear Lord, today as we begin a series that, dear Lord, is so divinely needed in the lives of so many people. We pray, dear Lord, that the power of your Holy Spirit would grip every single heart in this room, that our lives would forever be changed. That, dear Lord, just as worship has whittled away the cares of the world and reminded us of you, dear Lord, may your word also whittle away deep within our souls, chipping away things that do not look like Jesus. Jesus, you said men should not worry. You said do not worry. And yet, dear Lord, it becomes almost the preoccupation of every person in this room at some point or another in their life. So, Lord, we ask you, dear Lord, to do a mighty work today. And we will give you the glory. We will give you the honor. Lord, cleanse me if there's any thought, any deed, any idle word that has come from my lips, dear Lord. Through the blood of Jesus, cleanse me and use me today. And dear Lord, do the same in these that will receive your word. And we'll give you all the glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Good to see you here. Already a great service, and I'm excited about what God's doing. And I'm going to have to stay close to this mic because this thing doesn't work. And you know for me, I love to move around. So I'm going to constantly, probably on our website, be fading in and out. And I want to apologize for that. We're beginning a new series today called Worried. Uh, How many of you have struggled at some point in your life with worry? Raise your hand. Okay, and the rest of you are lying. (laughs) I worry sometimes to the point that I get to worrying about something, I forget what I was worrying about, and then worry because I forgot. You ever do that? You know, every single person in this room, at some point or another, you have dealt with anxiety, you've dealt with worry. And let me tell you this much, if you let it simmer long enough in your soul, sooner or later, I can tell you what's going to happen. You're going to find yourself in depression. For some of you in this room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Anxiety, panic, worry, depression. In July 9th, 1994, I had spent a week in Kenya, in Nairobi, Kenya. We were living in Zimbabwe. While I was in Kenya, I got sick. Many of you that are members of this church know that. I, got, I broke out with a rash. I became sick. I literally thought I was dying, came, felt like I was close to death. Actually, at 2.30 or about 2 o'clock in the morning, climbed, crawled out of my bed, crawled out under that African night sky, and just simply made everything right with the Lord and was just fine-tuning and getting ready because I thought I was going to meet Jesus. On July 9, 1994, when I got back to Zimbabwe, Sheila carried me to the hospital. I had a virus that attacked my intestines, eventually attacked my heart, and by a month later, I was in uh, Johannesburg, South Africa. That began what many of you may understand to be post-traumatic stress disorder. A lot of times, soldiers, when they return from overseas, will have something similar. From that moment on, anxiety, worry, And a battle with depression began. Now, I want to share with you my story. 
And I believe that in some ways it may help you because I I don't want pride to get in the way. I would say even from childhood, anxiety was a way of life for me. Even when I was a child, I can remember being very anxious. I love my mom and dad, but there were problems sometimes in the home. And I'll get to that in a moment. But there was anxiety. When I went into the military, I was a chaplain in the military. And while I was in New Jersey Jersey at a chaplain school, again, I found myself with severe anxiety to the point of having panic attacks. When I went to Zimbabwe and was living there, I was doing better, married with four kids. When I got sick again on July 9, 1994, and again began to deal with severe anxiety, chronic anxiety, to the point that I was having panic attacks. My children, a lot of times, were not even aware of it. But it had become a way of life for me. When I was in Africa, toward the end of my term there, I was so crippled by anxiety and worry that I was afraid that I would die and not make it home. Let me give you a principle for you that are here who battle with anxiety and worry, who battle with panic and depression. A principle here, the fear of death is a tool of the enemy and the one he sometimes most uses in our life. So that was one thing. Timothy, undoubtedly, in the scripture, battled with anxiety. In fact, Paul told him at one point in his One letter to Timothy, he said, Timothy, God has not given you this spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. I I was interested because even in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, Paul tells Timothy, he says, and Baptists don't like this verse, but he said, take, listen, take a little wine for your stomach ailments. I even tried that. When we came back from Zimbabwe, I thought, man, I've got to do something. A doctor even told me, he said, look, here's a prescription. Go get you a bottle of wine. So I went to a liquor store in Lexington, Mississippi, and I sent Sheila in to get my bottle of wine. And I was sitting so low in the driver's side, you couldn't see me. It didn't work. In 1 Timothy, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 10, Paul says to the church at Corinth, he said, if Timothy comes, see to it, that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. Paul alludes to his own difficulties with anxiety in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 when he talks about being anxious or fearful over the churches. Jesus included it in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus is talking about the Sermon on the Mount, he comes to this point and he says, Do not worry. You know, you really, want to look at the, you really want to look at the Lord sometimes and say, well, just tell me how not to. I want you to take your Bibles and look at John chapter 10, verse 10. Because I think this is a critical verse in all of our lives. And I think that the reason that we don't live the abundant life is because the enemy gets a stronghold deep within our soul when it comes to worry, when it comes to depression, when it comes to anxiety. Now, I've given you one principle. The principle is this. The fear of death is a tool of the enemy. Everyone look this way. I need you to understand that. The fear of death is a tool of the enemy in the life of a believer. And all God's people said, 
there's another principle, and let me, let me share this one with you. God will never accept your fear or my fear. Did you hear that? God will never accept fear in your life and in my life. If you're a child of the king, God will not accept fear, anxiety, and worry in your life. God is very, very clear. Don't worry. Don't worry. Do not worry. Be anxious for nothing. Fear not. Fear not. Over and over again throughout all throughout, throughout the scripture. But God will never accept your fear. In fact, let me tell you what God will do. He will drive it out of you. And he'll drive it out of me. Now, let me say this. In John chapter 10, verse 10, I believe this is in some ways the sum total of what Christ intends for our life. Are you there yet? Say amen. amen. Jesus said this. He said, the thief comes only to what? To steal and kill and destroy. And let me tell you this much. Everyone look this way. His principal tool in his arsenal in your life and in my life His greatest attack on faith, his greatest tool in your life and my life, what he steals and kills and destroys is the joy that comes by way of the Holy Spirit because he consumes us with worry and anxiety over things we cannot control. So there's a principle here. God will never accept your fear, but he'll drive it out. Now in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. Now at this point, I believe that Jesus' eyes lit up. They kind of glimmered with a heavenly look. And he smiled and he said these words. He said, but I have come that they may have what? They may have, have life. And in the NIV it says they may have life and have it to the full. Or you may read it as that they may have life, abundant life. You see, that's what Jesus' will is for your life. And your enemy, Satan, Diabolos, Satan, he understands that and he knows it and it is a tool that he will use in the life of a believer. Now what he'll do is what he did in my life. And, And today I'm just sharing a lot of my own. I'm bearing my soul here. Once I became crippled with anxiety, once I became crippled to the point my anxiety became almost panic and at times was panic, I, I want to admit to you that many opportunities that I had to serve the Lord, I began to back away from. In fact, my identity when I finally came home in February of 1996 was this. I was known in Rankin County as the sick missionary. Though I had physical problems, I also now had a deep emotional problem, and that was anxiety, and an anxiety that was literally controlling my life. In essence, what was happening was, though opportunities were coming for me to speak, to move around, and to work for the Lord, I was now limiting that because I wanted to stay at home. There came a point that I became so crippled, and when I shared this with my dad, he wept in Piccadilly's. We sat in Piccadilly's and he wept. I said, Dad, I've been so crippled by it to get a haircut is almost excruciatingly difficult. Some of you have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You see, fear, anxiety, worry can begin to take such control of your life and my life that it begins to limit us. It begins to tightened its grip on us. And before long, I was dealing not only with post-traumatic stress disorder, I was crippled. 
I was asked by a psychiatrist. I was asked by a psychiatrist, how would you know that you had been healed? And I made this statement to be able to go back to Zimbabwe, to go back there at least for a trip, to spend a few days. There was a dear friend of mine, Gary Blakeney. Gary's a close friend. Gary looked at Sheila one day, and I had asked Gary, I said, Gary, I need to go back and face my fear. I need to go back to Africa. I said, I need somebody to go with me. I'll never forget, Sheila with tears in her eyes said, Gary, take care of it. My anxiety was, had crippled my life. Gary Blakeney and I went back to Zimbabwe, and I did find. I went back a second time to Zimbabwe with my son-in-law, Matt, and I struggled. I'll be honest with you, Matt saw me with severe anxiety. I went back a third time with my dear friend Jeff Ainsworth, with Matt once again, with Lee. We went back a, a third time, and this time I struggled a little bit, but I was all right. Now let me tell you the difference. Gary Blakeney, Jeff Ainsworth, those are two men that I put great weight on. I, I, I literally trust these men, and I knew that they would accept me and walk me through my fear, my anxiety, that they would have, Jeff may not have even been aware of it. And I want to say to you, if you're struggling with worry and stress and anxiety, if you're struggling with depression, you need to find some people that I call safe people. There are people that you are able to simply say, this is who I am, this is where I'm at, and I need you to walk through me with this. That's very, very critical. So there's a principle here. Learn who those therapeutic people are, those positive, strong, affirming people, those people who may not battle in this area. Learn who they are and surround yourself with them, especially when you're struggling with anxiety and worry. There's another principle here. There are safe places and safe people. It's a strange thing, but cups, a coffee shop, and dogwood is a safe place. The owner, I know her, Susan, a dear friend, people there, I've built relationships, the smell of a cup of coffee, a good book, and it quiets me. But there's no safer place than Jesus. And sometimes in that coffee shop, almost always my Bible will be open. Jesus and I will sit across from each other over a cup of coffee and I'll pour out all the anxiety and all the worry and he begins to bring peace to my soul. Sometimes when the stress is difficult, a lot of times I'll slip away into my bedroom, get up in my bed, put my Bible in my lap and find myself feeding on the word of God, a safe place and a safe person, and it'll quiet my soul. You need to learn what those things are. And if you're here today and you suffer, now I want you to take a right from John, and I want you to look at Philippians, because Paul also deals with this. Of course, he dealt with it in the life of Timothy, Timotheos, not just simply the fear of God, but Timothy had a fear of a lot of things. That's why Paul would tell him, God is not giving you, Timothy. Listen to the wording there. God has not given you, Timothy, this spirit of fear. That's not of the Lord. But of power and love and a sound mind. But in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And when you get there, say amen. Oh, y'all just showing off. You got there for everybody else to do. 
You got there before I got there. I can't even find it. Here we go. In Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse... Well, let's, let's look at verse... Let's look at chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, look at verse 6. Do not be what? Do not be anxious about what? About any... Well, that's a bold statement. You mean, you mean to tell me I don't know where my rent's coming from? I don't know how I'm going to pay my car payment? I don't even have enough gas to put in my car. I don't know how I'm going to get to my job. My wife and I are having problems. You mean to tell me that the Bible tells me not to worry? I've got, listen, I've told people that and they look at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> hey, if you were in my shoes right now, you'd have plenty to worry about. The Bible commands us. Jesus did it in Matthew 6. Paul does it in Philippians. Do not worry. In fact, Paul is so bold here. He says to the church at Philippi, this beautiful, great church, he says, do not worry about nothing. Wow. Be anxious for nothing. Now let's read on. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now listen to this statement. I want you to listen to this quote. If you're here today and you worry and you have anxiety, I want you to listen to this. Anxiety is a condition that we cause. You agree? Kind of quiet. I heard of a, a, a prominent physician, a lecturer, was speaking to a medical school group that was coming in in their freshman year for the first time. He walked in, he looked at this group of new students coming into medical school, and Tamara, he looked at him and he, he made this statement. He said, uh, 95% of the people who come into your practice, their body is perfectly capable of curing itself. Isn't that a fascinating statement? He said, our, our job over the next four years is to, is to train you to keep you from killing the other four, 5%. But you see, anxiety, that statement, anxiety is a condition we cause and will no longer, and it will no longer have dominion under, over our lives un, un, unless we understand it and we learn how to reverse it. Now, what is anxiety? What is Paul saying in Philippians chapter 4 when he says, be anxious? He uses the word there, maranao, maranao. It's a, it's a word, literally, if you think about it, it's as if somebody takes a hand, somebody takes another hand, somebody takes one foot, somebody takes the other foot, and you become elastic man or elastic woman. They are pulling you in four different directions. What Paul is saying to the church at Philippi, what the Word of God is saying to you and, you and I is this. Marineo, marinao, is that, is that picture of you and I being pulled and stretched in, in every single direction. This is the same word that Jesus will use in Matthew 6.25 when on the Sermon on the Mount he made this statement. Therefore I tell you, do not worry. Marinao, do not worry about your life. What you'll eat, what you'll drink, your body, what you'll wear, nothing. I was down in Destin visiting my sister. Sheila and I and my sister were sitting in the Lucky Snapper. It's a restaurant, sits there on the water. Great place. I think it closed. But anyway, they have these cheese biscuits. 
And uh, so we're sitting there and we're waiting on our meal to be brought to us and we're enjoying those biscuits, enjoying a glass of iced tea. But in my mind, though I was sitting there with Sheila and though I was sitting there with my my sister Marcia, I was struggling, I was wrestling, I was worrying, I was anxious, I was thinking about, I was thinking about a lot of things here. I was thinking about how to make ends meet. Let me say this, this church has been an enormous walk of faith. There were many, many times that I thought we would be closing the door of this church. And so I lived with that fear, and I was anxious, and I was thinking about a lot of things, and even thinking, you know, God, what happens? You know, I, I, was, just, I was just worried. I was a, a breadwinner, you know, the provider for my family, and wondering how I'd make ends meet, when all of a sudden I looked, and I, you know, I was thinking about even eating. When all of a sudden I looked down, and I saw a little sparrow darting around, and he was eating the crumbs of those cheese biscuits around the table. And it was like God said, son... Who's picking up his tab? You see, anxiety, worry, maranao, this idea of being stretched and pulled in all different directions. Paul says this, don't let that happen. Do not be anxious. Jesus said, don't you be anxious and worried about the cares and the concerns of this life. What you'll eat, what you'll drink, where you'll live, what a roof over your head, all of these things. Jesus goes on to say, listen, Solomon in all of his glory can't match the lilies that are across the pastures and the fields even of this state. The birds don't worry about it. God says, I'll take care of them. Now, what is anxiety? How does it work? Well, first of all, it starts with a fear, a perceived fear. You and I, you and I get worried. We begin to... We begin to, we, bad news comes, or it, it may be bad news, or maybe it's just uh, what if thinking. How many of you know what I mean when I say what if? You ever play the what if game? rest of you are lying again, you know you do. You know, we all play that game. What if this happens? What if that happens? And before long, what happens is this. We get a negative thought in our head, and we begin to roll it around. We begin, listen... Anxiety starts with fear or a perceived fear. We see something and we become afraid. Secondly, what happens is it begins to it, it triggers adrenaline. All of a sudden, it uh, it triggers this adrenaline, and our heart rate begins to go up, and blood begins to move away from our extremities into our central cavity here, and we begin to feel different in our body. Things begin to stress begins to affect us. Headaches begin to come on, and before long, we don't have a headache. We have a brain tumor and we're dying we our chest begins to hurt and we think i'm getting ready to drop dead of a heart attack i know some of you are there and that my friend is a tool of the enemy hebrews the writer of hebrews said it is appointed unto man once to die after that the judgment god has divinely appointed that date in your life and in my life Third, now your heart begins to pump. It's accelerating. Your body is kicking into gear biologically because you have something in you. It's called the, it's called the flight or the fight. You're either, you're being threatened and you're now, your body biologically is all keyed up. It's saying, where is he? Just let me at him. And it's trying to find something to either fight or to run from. And it can't find it because it's up here. Fear and anxiety has now been 
planted up here in your head and you're becoming consumed with it and your body's kicked in and you don't know whether to fight it or to run from it. The only problem is you can't run from it because it's on top of your shoulders. And your enemy delights in it because he comes to kill and to steal and to destroy. He loves it. In fact, I wrote this down. The enemy loves unfounded fear. Did you hear that? Because what happens is once you and I reach that point, fear now begins to control or govern our life. Let me, let me say it again. The word hagias is the word holy. The word hagiosmos is this idea by which God is transforming you and I into the image of his son. We call it sanctification. Sanctification is the process by which God is making you and I look like his son Jesus. The enemy gets in the way. Instead of you and I being filled, the word filled means controlled, so the Bible commands us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, which means to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Now something else has come in up here, and it's controlling our, it's controlling everything that we're doing now. You see, that's the tool of the enemy. And you may say, well, Brother Jeff, this is a strange topic, and why go on about it? Listen, folks, this past week, I sat at my desk, sometimes early in the morning, flipping the Bible to passage after passage, and literally just flipping it to the exact passage. God is in this message today. He's in this series because He wants to set some of you free of what is controlling your life, and that is fear. Some of you can't go to Zimbabwe because you're afraid to fly. And you know it. You see, the enemy loves unfounded fear. The enemy loves to bring fear and confusion, anxiety and worry into your life and my life because if he can do that, then we become controlled by that. Rather, We're not walking by faith, we're walking by what? You want to finish it? We're walking by fear. Let me ask you this. What are we commanded to do in the face of our enemy, the devil? Hang on on the website. They're they're struggling with this one. Resist. The writer of James, kind of a New Testament proverbial, you know, James said, listen, resist the devil. You know what it means is simply this. The enemy... The enemy will use fear, he'll use worry, he'll use anxiety. He brings it into your life. Jesus said, don't do that. Paul said, don't do that. And you're sitting there going, how do I not do it? It's such a way of life. And the enemy loves it because if you're not walking by faith, you're walking by fear. And before long, you begin to what if think. And all of a sudden, fear and anxiety and things begin to work in your life. Before long, you're just depressed. The enemy, listen, the Bible commands you and I resist the devil, and who runs? Who runs? The devil. Resist the devil. Listen to this. James 4, verse 7. James chapter 4, verse 7. Listen to what James said. Resist the devil, and who takes flight? The devil. In fact, let me read the scripture to you. Submit yourselves then to God. Did you hear that? When you and I come under the authority, under the leadership of Jesus Christ. You know what Adrian Rogers said? Adrian Rogers made this statement. The great pastor of Bellevue has gone to be with the Lord. You know what Adrian said? And let me tell you about when he died. 
When he was laying on his deathbed, his family was gathered around. He was facing death. The doctor looked at him and I think at one point said, Well, Dr. Rogers, it won't be much longer. He smiled, looked at the family. You know what his response was? He said, Well, I'm in a win-win situation here, ain't I? You know, that's what Paul said. But you see, the Bible commands us we are to resist the devil. And the Bible says that when we do that, and we can't resist him in our strength, it is all the word of God. We've been storing away Psalm 119. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Everyone look this way and listen closely. Worry is a sin. It is an act of disobedience. And all God's people said, I think sometimes we, th- I think we think it's a spiritual gift. I've got the gift of worry. I don't know, I just, I just sit back in my bedroom for hours and worry. It's, it's just the cross I carry. Isn't that silly? You see, what the Bible tells you and I is, is that we're not walking by fear. You know, on, when, when, the, when the plane went down on 9-11, the plane that went down in Pennsylvania... When those men made that decision, Todd Beamer being one of them, when they made that decision, they already knew that Twin Towers had been hit by two planes. They knew the Pentagon had been hit. And they knew that that plane was probably on its way to Washington, D.C. Those men stood up and made a decision. We are going to take back control. We are not going to allow those terrorists up there in that cockpit to control this plane and control our destiny. And there came that point, those famous words of Todd Beamer. He said, let's roll. Some of you in 2014 need to say to the devil, resist him in the word of God. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might have sinned against God. See worry and anxiety as a sin that you and I need to get victory over this year so that we can begin to serve God unapologetically. There was a great man on that plane. I can't remember his name right now, but I can remember what he said. Or somebody said, they said when they went to his desk, this man who gave his life to fight those terrorists, he wasn't famous. He was just one of those men that took back control of that plane. Now, it it plummeted into Pennsylvania, but I can tell you this much. They probably saved the White House in the process. But they said one of those men that took control of that plane on his desk were these words. Listen to this. Fear... Who cares? Isn't that great? Fear? Who cares? Can you imagine what your life would be like if you weren't anxious, if you weren't worried, if you weren't battling with depression, and all of a sudden you just had unreasonable commitment to Christ and fear was no longer even in your vocabulary. What God could do with you and what God could do with me. You see, fear, anxiety, worry, depression, they're common words. They... They haunt us. They hold us captive. Some of you say, well, I'm going to a good psychiatrist. Psychiatry is the, has the highest suicide rate of anyone. There's a woman who wrote a great book. Her, her name is Lucinda Bassett. She wrote the book Panic to Power, Sweet Precious Lady, who's spoken to McDonald's, spoken to Coke, and several of the major companies, corporations in America and around the world. She even has the Midwest uh, Center for Anxiety. I wrote an article for her paper. It was featured with a, photog- with a, uh, with a photo of when I was in Africa. I learned a couple of weeks ago that her husband committed suicide. 
You may say, well, I'm going to go to a good psychiatrist. My friend, let me say this. They have the highest suicide rate of any profession of anyone. You may say, well, I'm on some good medication. Medication, the pharmaceutical industry, is a billion-dollar industry that often, in all honesty, can create dependency and long-term use. Now, listen to me. If you're on medication right now, that doesn't mean you stop it. I think medication, I've been on medication at times. I think it's a great thing. When I came back from Africa, for a time I was on medication. It is a good thing, and under guidance of a medical staff can be a great thing to help you get over that hump. But sooner or later, you and I have to come to terms with this thing of worry and anxiety. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. And so we're told not to worry. Why? Because worry, fear, anxiety, number one, it breeds anxiety. It becomes a vicious cycle. All of a sudden you're, you're concerned. This is the reason. Listen, do you know that in the Bible there are 365 fear knots? Isn't that something? 365 fear knots. It's as if God looked down and he said, I'm just going to give them a fear knot for every single day. Let's face it, when Jesus would walk into a room, what was the first thing that he would look and say? Did he say shalom, which was the common greeting of a Jew? Peace? No, Jesus walked in and said, fear not. Imagine if you walked into the office tomorrow morning and said, fear not. Fear not. You see, sometimes you and I are afraid and we don't even know what we're afraid of. That's the enemy because anxiety will breed anxiety. Fear creates fear and ultimately it multiplies and before long we're just in a generalized anxiety which we can't even figure out why we're even afraid anymore. We just know we're scared. Number two, we fear the fear. The only thing to fear is fear itself. Well, we fear fear. Why? Because I can tell you why we fear fear, and I can tell you why you fear fear. Because of all of the emotions and the symptoms and your body responding in ways that scares you. Let me make some general statements and then we'll close. Number one, anxiety, again, is an unjustifiable fear. In other words, there's nothing to fear. You're running from nothing. I'm running from nothing. Imagine the delight of your enemy who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Anxiety, again, listen to it. Anxiety is a condition we cause. Anxiety will linger until we understand it and we know how to reverse it. Medicine will never cure it. The cure comes through a personal relationship with Christ and walking in faith walking it out in faith. Number two, for those who are here that don't have any idea, your thought is, hurry up, get the message over with, and, and I'm ready to go eat. You don't have it. You grew up in the Cleaver household, and, and, and you just, everything was great at your house, and your mama aren't your boxers, and I mean, you know, you just, you just lived in the, in the Holiday Inn. Understand this, there are people around you that are dealing chronically endlessly with anxiety. Many of them are struggling with panic or in full-blown panic attacks. And until you've had one, you don't have no idea what I'm talking about. Let me tell you about a panic attack. A panic attack is this. A panic attack is to be so filled with anxiety, to be so filled with fear, you will do whatever you have to do to stop it. 
Why do you think homeless are homeless? Do you know how many homeless have looked at me helplessly and hopelessly and said, Brother Jeff, the bottom line is the reason I struggle with drugs, the reason I struggle with alcohol, the reason there's no victory in my life is because I'm afraid. And I said, afraid of what? You know what they say? I don't know. Number four, again, you fear the symptoms. You get filled with anxiety. Your body begins to respond. You don't know how to control it. The problem's up here. And you don't know what to do with it. You don't know whether to fight or to fly or to to run from it. Number five, thoughts begin to breed unreasonable fears. You begin to, you begin to what if? You begin to, you begin to think about all the things that can happen. How many of us lay down? How many of you get up in the morning and the first thing you do is that start having negative thinking? How many of us get up in the morning and we, got, we, we, listen, we wake up, our eyes open up, and immediately we start thinking negative things, negative things. We get up, we're shaving, we're thinking about every possible disaster, every possible catastrophe. Listen, that is your enemy, the devil. He has got up with you, he's following you every step of the way. And you are not resisting him. Listen, all you've got to do, if you've got one of these is you can put a Bible app on there, play the Word of God while you're shaving in the morning and watch what God will do with your life. Jesus said in John 15, 3, He said, you have been cleansed. He uses the word, the Greek word there, catharsis. You have been cleansed by my Word. Set free from what? Listen. You know what the Bible says? Listen to this. The Bible says, take every thought, what? Captive. Why do you think the Bible would tell us that? Why do you think 365 times God says, fear not? Why do you think Jesus would enter a room and say, fear not? Because he knows that the greatest tool in the arsenal of our enemy is fear, anxiety, and worry. We are trying to control the future when we don't need to worry about it. He's already there. When Moses was getting ready to go to the nation of Israel, do you remember that? God said, uh, Moses, I'm sending you to my people. Those people were hopeless and helpless. They were probably filled with anxiety, worry, depression. They were literally living in misery. Moses said, God, if I go, they're going to ask me, what is your name? What is your name? You know what God said? He said, I am. You tell them, I am. Yahweh has sent you. You know what God was saying? Tell them not to worry about tomorrow. I'm already there. Wow. You and I are worrying about things we have no control over. When God says, hey, I just thought I'd drop in the next year in your life, everything's fine. Don't hide your fear. Number six, don't hide it. If you're afraid, tell, listen, when I come up here, if I look at you and say, if you're speaking to a group of people, which is the number one fear, if you're speaking to a group of people and you're afraid, you know what the best thing to do is just walk up there and say, folks, I'm just going to tell you, I'm scared to death. Do you know what people do when you say that? Oh, man, look, I understand. I'd be scared too. You know what people will do? You see, pride goes before fall. Sometimes what we need to do in an LTG, a life transformation group, or in a discipleship group, or in a a time of, of confession in Sunday school, what we need to do is just say, listen, Brother Jeff is right. I am filled with anxiety, worry. I'm struggling with depression. I tell you what, it's hard for me to make it through a single day, and I need you. And listen, you know what the body of believers does? Shoop! Comes all around you. Wrapping their arms around you, encouraging you, strengthening you. Man, one thing, I, one thing I love is Jeff Ainsworth to give me a good hug. It's like a bear hugging you. You know, it's a good thing. 
So don't hide your fear. Seven, medications, again, will never be the only answer. Yes, they can be an answer for a period of time, but ultimately, you need behavioral therapy. You need discipleship. You need somebody to walk you through those fears to say, come on, let's get on a plane. We're going to Zimbabwe. (laughs) Not me. I'm not going to get on a plane. Do you realize how likely you are to die on a plane compared to getting hit by a meteor or going to your car? About the same probability. I don't see any of you worrying. Cover me while I go to the car. (laughs) Honey, would you pull the car up close to the building here? I'm afraid a meteor might strike me in the head. You see, that's what the enemy does. The enemy will take your fears and he'll just stretch them and inflate them and pull them all out of proportion because he's trying to destroy. He's trying to destroy your life. He doesn't need to kill you. He just needs you to be miserable while you're here. Number eight, death is one of the primary motivators of anxiety. For the website, forgive me, but I've got to move away from the mic. Let me show you what death is. You watching? about you, but listen, and for those on the website, what I did was I just simply walked out the door of the sanctuary and said to the people that are sitting in this congregation, death is a door. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Jesus went out there, hung around a few days. Like I said, he pooped on Satan's party, and he came back and he said and told us all about it. You don't have to fear death. Quit spending your life analyzing and dissecting every little pain you have. Jesus is taking care of you. He says, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. Lo, I'm with you always to the what? Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Scared of death? Listen, I can tell you, I've been to more deathbed scenes probably than anybody unless you're in the medical world. And I can tell you how Christians die. I've seen them die raising their hands, shouting. I've seen Christians die praising God and having a worship service. I've seen Christians talking to Jesus, standing at the foot of their bed. I've seen Christians look at me and say, Brother Jeff, my mom, my dad, my son, my daughter, D.L. Moody sat up and hollered to his wife and said, Honey, our grandson is here. Their grandson was dead. He was standing there with Jesus. Billy Graham, when he went to the deathbed of his grandmother, was comatose, sat straight up in the bed and said, said, well, looky here, there's Ben and there's Jesus. And she died. R.G. Lee, when he died, the great pastor that preached the message, payday someday, when he died, I think Billy Graham, Adrian Rogers, all of them were gathered. It so moved and affected their lives, they never were the same. God does not want you to be afraid to die. Death is your door to eternity, to another life, and God has a rich future beyond this life. This is just dress rehearsal for what's to come. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. You can't obey the Great Commission if you're afraid. If you're sitting here today and you say, I'm afraid to get on a plane, shame on you and that's sin. 
You know, let me close with this. I, 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 I run every day. And some days when it's bad weather, I run on the treadmill. And I had this, this uh, series from, from the Weather Channel. And, and it's about all these acrobatic, strange sports like hang gliding and, you know, it's like parachuting out of a plane. I mean, it's a perfectly good plane. Why would I want to jump out of it, you know? Uh, hang gliding, snowboarding, skiing, and some of them have become, you know, now they have this parasail, but it's more than that, where a guy looks like he has a snowboard or a small surfboard strapped to his feet, and he's got a kite, and he's flying, and he's just going. I watched one of these guys one day, Sheila, and I was just fascinating. He just took off like a bullet off the beach, and he just began to go across. He'd hit those waves, and he would just jump up in the air, and he'd spin, and he'd flip, and I think, man, I'd love to do that. Wow. He was just enjoying. You know what Rick Warren said? Purpose-driven church, the great church there in Saddleback. He said, God's sending a wave. Let's ride it. That was his challenge to that church and has become one of the greatest churches in the world. But I was running and I was watching this and it was a documentary and it was talking about a man by the name of Jeff, Jeff Clark. Jeff Clark... Is a, is a man who grew up in Southern California, grew up in California, off the coast of San Francisco, or not far from San Francisco, is what they call Maverick Waves. There was a movie a while back called Chasing Mavericks. In, in, in Mavericks are waves that are 50, 60, 70 feet tall. They're the largest waves in the world. Jeff Clark, this man, would look at these, he, he grew up looking at these waves, and in 1975, he took a surfboard and he said, just one day I thought, hey, I'm going to ride that wave. He grabbed his surfboard, he went out and he began to make his way and all of a sudden he's pedaling water and he got out there and he rode a wave that no surfer had ever rode before. And he did it again and again and again. And I thought, well, man, I bet, I bet the surfers all over the world, Australia and, and uh, South Africa, I bet all these great other places to surf, I bet they all converged and they begin to ride these Mavericks. No, listen to this. This shocked me. For 15 years, he rode Mavericks by himself because no surfer in the world was brave enough to do what he did. For 15 years, he had an adrenaline rush and the best time of his life all alone. Is that you? Can I ask you something? What are you missing out on in this spiritual life? Maybe you're not having an abundant life because, and your life is filled with drudgery and monotony. It's not God made it that way. You did. How many of you, God's called you to do something great, but fear is riding on your shoulders? The enemy's constantly battling here and you have quit taking every thought captive listen God didn't give you that spirit of fear he never God did not give you that spirit of fear God did not give you that worry he didn't give you that anxiety God gave you this he didn't give you the spirit of fear he gave you the power of love sound mind and power let's stand our heavenly father we just come to you and we thank you, dear Lord, for your word and how it speaks to our heart. And Lord, we're challenged by it. 
Lord, we can just see you when you would walk into a room, you'd smile and look around and say, fear not. Imagine that. Everyone look this way. We're still praying, but everybody look this way. We interrupt our prayers to, to say something. Some are here visiting. Imagine that when Jesus would walk into a room and he'd say, fear not. Let me show you what it is. The, the people of this church have seen me do it a million times. Let me, tell you who, let me tell you who Jesus was. He's what an African pastor told me when I said, how do I teach people in a village that have never heard the gospel? How do I teach them? He said, Mwari, Nyama. Mwari means God, Nyama means flesh. He said, Mwari Akafeka, Munyama. He said, God put on the flesh of man, stepped into his creation. And you know what he said most of all when he'd enter a room? Don't you fear. Fear not. Hey, I never let my fear cripple me. I went to Africa. I've laid, I, listen, I've laid on my back and let lion cubs, the mama was, the mama was secure, and let lion cubs... I've let lion cubs play with, just sit there, play, and jump all over me like little kittens. I've watched elephants like a community at a water hole as they would lay down and they'd roll and a massive elephant would disappear under that water and all of a sudden that snout would come up and it would blow water everywhere and stand up. I stood on the brink I've stood on the brink of the Zambezi River. I've hung over Victoria Falls in a little cubby hole with a video camera and shot one of the seven natural wonders of the world. I've spent the night in the Queen of England's sister's castle in, in Edinburgh, Scotland. You are allowing the enemy to steal your life in 2014. Stop it. Let's pray. Lord, may we have the abundant life. May, dear Lord, you remove the fear and the anxiety, the depression that holds us captive. May, dear Lord, you set us free today. Dear Lord, may you teach us to find our safe place, our safe person first and foremost in you. May we hide your word in our heart that we might not sin against God in the sin of worry. May you take it away from us. Give us victory over us. Over it, Lord. Lord, this year, may we live life on the edge. May we do things. May we be bold and adventuresome. There's so many things, dear Lord, that we need to do. We need to experience. There's so many places that we could go and take the kingdom. But God, first of all, we need to be saved. If a person's here today and they do not know you, Lord Jesus then there, there is that fear. You said, don't fear the one that can kill body, and, or don't fear the one that can kill the body, but fear the one who can kill the body and the soul. And soul will take eternity in hell to kill it. But you love every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room. You want to set them free. You want to come and live in their life and take up, take up residence, their, your Holy Spirit, taking up residence in their life, defeating the enemy from the inside out. So God, speak today. 
And if there's one here that doesn't know you, that even in this invitation, as Ledge and, 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 and Reggie and I are here at the front, and others may be here to pray with Emily and Tamara and these that may be here to pray, Lord, would you set people free today? There may be people that need to come to the altar, make a fresh commitment. God, speak to our hearts, and we give you the glory and the honor, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.